0: We're listening to episode 36 of The Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: To celebrate the United States' rich history, we are going to storm the beaches of your ears and take over Shore to Shining Shore. The Pals are practicing Manifest Destiny this week. <laughs> oh my god. That was that was weirdly erotic. <laughs> It's not the word I would Let use. Let the pals wash over your shores. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't, maybe, it's, maybe it's my all-American birthday, really. I think manif- the idea of Manifest Destiny
0: really brings something out in me. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about what's being said right now. Um, Gross. But so finally, after a couple of weeks, the pals are back together. All five of us are here, including Phil. I'm not sure how I feel about that uh but uh it's my
1: face turn this
0: week is it mm-hmm. yeah we'll see about that on the main topic dude we will see uh but we actually have a very special guest with us we are we are joined <clears throat> by comic book writer himself uh the writer of a book that has just been successfully kick-started uh chris Masari, welcome to the show Hello, hello everyone Hi, Ooh, Congratulations Can't see me man way. Hold your applause <laughs> <laughs> At the
1: Bill Clinton wave, I like it I do like the professional
0: He's doing the blue t-sta. Um Very very sad that no one else can see What we're doing right now
2: No, <laughs> it's for, for the best This, it's for <laughs> this the visual best. joke on an audio
0: medium Yes, those are always great I know right, Phil, can you stop doing What you're doing right now <laughs> Thank you Put your clothes back on <laughs> you know what as often as i've seen phil's nude body that could be real he could actually
1: <laughs> that's a shirt for as often as i've seen phil's nude body ellipses
0: <laughs> so moving off of phil's nude body uh let's talk about some plugs and where you can find the show so we are on itunes where we are a five-star rated pro- podcast very proud of that, I will always be proud of that, and let's keep the tradition going, you guys can leave us a rating there if you'd like, and also a comment about your thoughts on the show, we are on all the major podcast hosting platforms other than iTunes, including SoundCloud where you guys are really good to us so keep that up, you can find us wherever social media is sold at The Comics Pals so you can write to us on there Uh, we are also on YouTube where you can hit us up Please, please, please reach out to us on YouTube. If you're watching this now, you can subscribe to the channel. You can like, you can leave a comment, all that good stuff. Uh, and share with your friends. That's super important. Let other people know that we exist and that you're a fan of the show. And last but not least, you can write to us at thecomicspals@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can write into us with a random question of the week or a buy or sell or an idea for a main topic, anything like that. Definitely send that stuff our way, and we will read it on the air. So, with that stuff out of the way, Chris, you have a, a, a successful Kickstarter, man. That is awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about how that feels?
3: Uh, uh,
4: lots of weird fucking emotions. It For like 32 days is long as fuck. If you ever do a, like a Kickstarter, like the first two days are long. Like, they feel like fucking forever. So 32 days of this shit, like, by the time it ended, I'm like, fucking thank God. And now I'm like, shit, I still have to wait another two or weeks for, like, everything to process with Kickstarter. I got to start doing the processing to, like, get the comics actually sent out and a whole bunch of other shit. So it's a sigh of relief, less uh, excitement. is really exciting in the beginning. Oh, look, we've made $100. Oh, now 500 Now it's like, fuck, thank God this thing's over. I did not look forward to doing another one of these. <laughs>
0: So, what does your Kickstarter was actually really successful? Uh, what did that entail for you? What was the work like? The work? Um,
4: well, I think we not. I want to say lucky because I did a lot of what you, I guess you call like uh, um, the legwork beforehand. Like told people about it. We kind of warmed our audience because we're supposed to release the book where we wanted to digitally in December. That didn't happen. Um, so. We learned a little bit more about stuff. Then we looking at printing costs and finally decided on Kickstarter. Once we did Kickstarter, um, it kind of just went from there. But it, we kind of built the audience. We were constantly coming out with not just like pieces of the comic itself, but we'd go out and pay an artist. Hey, can you do this concept piece for us? Or, hey, can you do uh, something else? So we were coming out with art. We were talking to the audience, building our Facebook page. Um, I contacted i'm in a course with tyler um vogel uh it's called comics launch course It's part of comics drive it's almost like a college course on how to do kickstarter and a bunch of other stuff so we actually paid for this course and he actually sent out a list it's like 500 different media sites so i used a lot of that to reach out to people try to get interviews to build outside stuff from what i was doing um, i contacted everyone that i used to write for written for like comic journalism stuff like hey like, including you guys. Hey, can you do a review for us? Hey, can you do a little coverage. So I think that helped. Um, it was just constantly connecting with people. To I think the story looks interesting to most people. It's a little more not that I'm like plugging my own work, which I in some way I am.
3: Well, real real quick, while we are plugging your own work, what's the name of the comic if you want to go? Comic
4: find is it? the Six Swords. I guess we never actually fucking mentioned. That. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Like, why don't you give the elevator pitch? Because we've talked like a lot about the Kickstarter, but like you know. Tell people a little bit about the book.
1: Three words or less. Uh, three three <laughs> words.
3: Uh, three three words or less. Um,
1: Six
2: swords. Uh, mustaches.
4: <laughs> there is a few mustaches. I know there's one. There's one off the top of my head. There might be another character with a mustache. Curly red mustache. Um. Fuck. Blood. And and death. Oh, Amen. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Fuck is used in all the appropriate ways that fuck is used.
2: <laughs> Noun, <laughs> verb,
4: adjective. Fuck, we use it always. that fuck is used. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: don't know. It's not too catchy. <laughs> Pete's out. I, I think fuck should just be the tagline. The six swords. Fuck. I would <laughs> say that's just
4: the name of a book is fuck. Why is no one come out with a comic called fuck? how howard
0: howard shakin told me he's already on it so (laughs) (laughs) so i i just want to point out that we are what are we we're around probably five minutes into the show and there have already been more uh f-bombs than ever (laughs) so you you got this book called six swords and i've known you for what about two years now and when we first met you were telling me about this book. So this is a book that's been long in gestation. Can you work us through the process of what it took to get this book in reality?
4: Uh, yeah. So I, I think it actually started like three or four years ago. Um, we kind of had the idea. Then I think it was three. It had been three years ago that I actually got the opportunity to get it to a publisher. So me and two other friends, my friend Matt Perez, he writes for Forbes right now and our other writer, Mel, who's like the original creator. Um, we came up with it. Mel got drunk one night. It was the 2012 apocalypse for whatever reason, he was feeling really creative. Our friend was out in California, he was working for Google and he just, for whatever reason, his drunk mind was like, Hey, I, what would it be like if the 2012 apocalypse, apocalypse actually happened and all of us had to go out to California to save Kevin? and he's like big into weapons i mean he's got like m16s he's, he's he's a big fan of guns he's got swords he's just a fan and they're all legal mel has he's he's got it. his. <laughs> well, it's, it's America, of course they're legal but, but the black market stuff but he's in the guns he's in the weapons and stuff like that he's like oh i got all these swords and then he kind of just in his drunk mind came up with like different characters for a particular group of friends of ours he posted in a group we had me and Matt were like oh shit this is pretty cool we should do something with this so we kind of just like started to like meet up Uh, we were still going to college at Rowan University so we'd go in like the Whitney Center like they have these like little back rooms and we were trying a couple like a YouTube series we're trying a couple of these different creative things and the comic was at the same time so it kind of worked out and we all have really dark humor so basically everything we were looking at kind of fell into the South Park Venture Brothers um, range of comedy so that's what we were kind of doing, trying to do with Six Swords originally. Like, the original concept of Six Swords was oh, essentially no. Venture Brothers, where we took a bunch of, like, guys with swords and just shit on whatever property we thought was going to be funny um, and, like, homages. Like, we were going to do, like, a Scooby-Doo thing. We were going to do um, – we, we for whatever reason, we were really – any Pittsburgh because like <laughs> some coal miner shit. And cause I, I went to, I did a trip in Pittsburgh and it was just abysmal. It's like, let's fucking make fun of Pittsburgh or let's make fun of like all this shit. So that's kind of how the, that's kind of how it started. Um, and then we kind of built from it, uh, as a more serious thing as we are like, ah, it's kind of corny it's kind of dumb. Um, and, uh, so that's how it started. That was like year four, year three um i was writing for ain't it cool news uh i found out i can go to events for free as press and do interviews i was like oh shit let me go to fucking new york and talk to people on how to make a comic i had no idea i just started like i picked up bendis's book um i picked up uh the steve mcleod book i started researching doing google shit like how the fuck do you make a comic like everyone thinks like There's not really, like, you go to school, you can become a teacher. You go to school, you can become a cop. You can go to school, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a comic writer. You can take creative writing courses, but there's no real, like, the industry. There's no, like, set way of doing things. So, anyway, I went to uh, New York. was kind of exploring, interviewing people. I got to interview Scott Snyder. Uh, I got to interview Mike Tyson. So, I got to do these really cool things. Like, the first time that I ever went, because Ain't It Cool News is really old, but I was interviewing (laughs) a small... Uh, publisher who they'd been sending shit out to me. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I was finally like, you know what? I'm there. I got to kill time. Why not? Who knows what it will be like. Maybe I can talk to them about comic stuff and find out some information about starting off. So I interviewed this publisher, AHR visions. Um, I had just got done a, a creator connection course with Dirk Manning, who um, also has helped me a lot along the way, who I also met. Um, after this course, and I just kind of talked to them like, Hey, how do you guys usually take a pitch? How, how does it, how does it work for to, you know, kind of get a comic out there? It's like, I had this idea. I just took this course. I just talked to this guy, Dirk Manning, um, which has another story. Dirk's been a huge help that same day earlier. I had just got done talking to him. He did this creator uh creator connection course and kind of did an intro to everyone he's like hey i have a book if anyone wants to buy it come to my table went to his booth started talking to him i'm like i'm here with any cool news he kind of gave me like a smirk he's like asked me who i used to write for dude i was like who he said ain't it cool news he's like asked me what i used to do in college it was like journalism asked me what i used to do i used to write for my college newspaper so there's like this big long list of stuff that i did or was doing that dirk also did so we had a connection. I got his book, and then after him, I went to this publisher, and that's where I was at. So I know I'm fucking going all over the place, but I'm talking to the publisher. I'm asking, like, how do you do things? He's like, well, let me hear your idea. And I was like, all right, well, can I try, like, an elevator pitch on you, essentially? um, I just learned how to do one. He was like, he's like, don't even worry about the elevator pitch. Sometimes you can't get everything you want out in a couple sentences. So I explained the book to him. He's like, no, I really like the idea. Send me a draft of what you have and we'll see what, see what we can do. Maybe we'll we'll pursue it. Maybe we won't. It was just let me send me a draft. So I instantly went back home. We, we wrote up a, a, like a quick summary draft, key points, characters, all stuff. So now to him, he's like, I like it. Send me a script. We're like, oh shit. We had to throw together a script in literally like a month, month and a half, never doing a comic strip ever in our fucking lives before. Um threw it together, edited the fuck out of it. Send back to the publisher. He loved the idea. Um, and he was like, we'll pursue it. And then it kind of took two years from that point to even get art. Um, we were still kind of like working out contractual stuff with the publisher. We had to get a lawyer. Um, we had to trademark our stuff. We had to become an LLC in order for us to, to even like sign the contract with the publisher. Because there's three different entities and just money and stuff like that. So, so that's stuff like people in comics don't always uh, talk about as it. like the legal shit. So um, that's kind of how that worked out. And after that point, it was just getting the art in the last year we threw together artwork and the comics. And that's kind of where we're at now. That was a big long fucking spiel. So my bad.
0: No, that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> that's the story of the book. And especially as a, a young and up and coming creator, I think it's great to hear, the story of the process of the creation from point A to point Z, because a lot of times you're right. Like there's there's always elements of that story that get left out. And it kind of leaves you as a person who might want to break into the industry. Like, well, wait, what do you do about this? What do you do about that? You know, how do you, how do you trademark your stuff? What do you have to get a lawyer? And so <clears throat> I think it's important to send the message that like all those steps are relevant. You know what I mean?
3: And I think it's also it's important to point out too, like uh, like you said, Sean. I mean, I've known Chris I think for three years now. We went to college together, um, and you know we've known each other for a long time. And he's been working on this book basically since I met him. You know, and like it's not a thing that you just oh I have an idea I'm going to go pitch it and become a comics writer. It's like no, you know it takes years and years and years of meeting people and shaking hands and doing things before you even sit down and write the script.
4: Yeah. So that's something that no one told me. And that's kind of what I figured out. So if anyone's looking, not that I'm anyone, but if you're looking to even get to the point where you want to get a Kickstarter or get a comic out there, fucking talk, talk to people, go to conventions, find a, uh, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be a Scott Snyder. It doesn't have to be a Tom King. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, uh, Alex, uh, Ross or someone like that. It can be someone small, find a small creator, talk to them, ask them how they did stuff, you know, ask them advice on building something. Cause like I said, this is a four year process. We finally got done. Now I think moving forward, any story that I do or we do is going to be super easy because the groundwork's already done. But to getting to the point where you can actually get the ball rolling, that's a fucking long ass process. Like the legal stuff is expensive and it takes forever. But for whatever reason, let's say the book takes off, we won't get fucked in the ass with, um, who owns what, like the artists were hired contractors. So they can't claim, um, that the, the characters are theirs or, you know, someone has an idea similar, they can't say it's their idea because it's art. It's all trademarked by us. So if you have an idea, take the actual process. Don't just kind of throw it together. Oh, I have this idea. I want to do it. Take your time to edit it. The biggest thing that we got back from the publisher is like, this is one of the most professional scripts we ever got. I didn't have to edit anything. I didn't have to change everything. Everything was structured. That happened because you had a history major, like someone who Mel is a hist- studied history. So he has a certain structure of how to build like cite- citations and stuff like that. So he has a strong writing background. Matt has the strongest writing background of all of us. He works for Forbes. He's written for IGN, Game Informer, Playboy, a bunch of other places. I've written for a bunch of places as well. So make sure your pitch, like your script, and not everyone's going to get feedback from a script. We got lucky um, that I was interviewing someone and got to meet them face-to-face and kind of built my way into being able to get a pitch. Most of the time, if you go to a convention or try to get something from a publisher, you're going to need artwork as well. We got super lucky. But take your time i know i'm impatient as fuck and i'm like i want to do this like comics is what i want to do but it doesn't happen overnight as much as it's like i only want to work in comics there's a shit ton of groundwork that you got to do and there's a shit ton of background stuff that you got to do as well like the legal shit like you know talking to people like meeting people finding out what are other people in the industry doing and make sure you're paying for your work as well don't try to get free shit because then it's going to either end bad or you're just not going to get quality work
0: or never get the work
4: at all. That's true too. So you might not even get it as well. Like if you want to get a professional comic out there, work with professionals and professionals are going to want money. Professionals are going to want contracts. Professionals are going to want things done professionally. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Good advice. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, I, am I'm really happy that you're on and you're saying these things. Um, it's it's helpful for me, even, you know. Uh, we've had a number of conversations about this, and I also am a student of Dirk Manning, and so, um, you know, those those are kind of the lessons that he tries to teach as far as, you know, working in comics, the idea of writing for Superman is very glamorous, and it sounds amazing, but there's a lot of stuff that you have to do that's not fun to get to that point.
3: There's a lot of steps between you and
4: Superman. Yeah, I would say beforehand, too, like, you, most people don't realize it. There's a reason why most comic writers aren't, like, 25 to 30. They're, like, you know, mid-30s to 40s before they even, like, get the opportunity. Like, Dirk. I love Dirk. Dirk's a super successful indie comic person. He's never written for a major title, and he's been working for 10 years. Like And he's... He's super old. Yeah, yeah. He's very <laughs> – you're very old, Dirk, if you happen to be listening. You're an old man. You got to fucking put in, like, a long time. Like, what do they say? Like, most writers don't, one, hit their, like, good writing point till they're 30, and they don't actually hit their stride till they're 40. Like, if you look at the comic industry, it takes fucking years, shit ton of groundwork, shit ton of resume to even get to Superman. I yeah. think the shit's on the groundwork just to get to, like, webcomic, let alone, like, Superman.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, before we wrap the interview portion, can you give us... So, we, we talked a little bit about The Six Swords, but I want you to give us an idea of what is the book about. When you, when you pick up issue one, what are you going to see? What can people expect from this title? Fucking violence and blood <laughs> sean he already told you
4: i mean <laughs> in all seriousness like that's super basic but like i said we tried to keep with the dark humor type of shit so there is i mean the book is filled with cursing like we actually had to tone down some of the cursing we've actually did a script reading is, is the tone down one chris <laughs> the shit you not so we got a script reading with Dirk that we paid for with his uh his, for his Kickstarter to make cuz we wanted so, like we wanted an outside like creator to look at her stuff and see what it was like and Matt has a certain he has a lot of isms one of his isms is he really likes using the word cunt well <laughs> Dirk was like you can't have he was like he's like I'm not going to tell you not to have it But a lot of people get offended by the word cunt. So it would be recommended not to have cunt in your book used as often as it is. It was only like once or twice. But we actually had to tone down certain like – Words like cunt. So, yes, the, the cursing actually got toned down.
3: I just want to point out, not only is this the most fucks on any episode of the Comics Files, <laughs> it's definitely the most cunts on any episode of the I, Comics Files. I'd also
0: House. like to point out that you use the word more talking about it in, in, on the podcast than it was in your book. That's actually very true. Has anyone actually used cunt on the show yet? Never, no. in a, never in the history. <laughs> one, also, we've done at least seven
3: times now. This so. is
0: the most not safe for anything version of this podcast that we've ever done.
3: <laughs> NSFL,
0: um, but it's it's fun. I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna have to go to church after this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Kill, okay, tell your grandma not to listen to this one. Yeah. <laughs>
4: What is this only? It's only five minutes in... Th- oh, I'm sorry, like 10, 20 minutes into the call. It hasn't <laughs> even been edited yet. We're just getting rolling. There's way more uh, F-bombs and cunts we to get come. get to the so. news yet. <laughs> oh, man. Oh,
0: boy. All right.
2: Yeah,
4: maybe we should do that chicken story. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> this is out of the preference, because our only, our only bad review and our first bad review, the reviewer didn't seem to understand that these are not heroes. Like This is not like a, a typical... Um, black and white kind of story. It's it's based off of a bunch of six shitty individuals. <laughs> shitty individuals. Some of them are seeking re- redemption. Some of them are doing it because they're trying to like escape uh, a past, or they're trying to get away from something. And one of them's just doing it for the fuck of it. He's just doing it for fun. So they're not. It's not hero archetype. It's more like anti-hero villains. Think Suicide Squad for you know big title Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, who get brought together by happenstance. It could be fate. It could be like calculate a reason. We don't really give you that answer but they're brought together. They kind of have to figure their way out of the city of New Orleans Um, and expo- they're exploring where they they kind of tra- traverse what is now the divided states post-World War 4. So the past World War 3, post-World War 4, the United States is a shithole um, and they got to kind of travel and they're wanted, they're, they're wanted individuals. They kind of travel and they have to go through tasks. Eventually, they basically become bound, or um, mercenaries, basically hired by blackmail to accomplish tasks. So it's, it's this whole journey of taking six uniquely shitty individuals, very unique characters, and kind of just seeing how they play with different um, tropes, different uh, circumstances, um, and just kind of exploring shit that we like. And there's a shit ton of violence, uh, nudity. We're all about equality, so we we have like male nudity as at least for the first two arcs. There's plenty of male nudity in the first two arcs. Um, We have nine, uh, seven scripts done, two scripts that are unfinalized. So we've got a little bit of a catalog building as far as like the writing and story goes. We have our our ending. it's just fun. It's got some deeper tropes. It's got some political narrative to it, but nothing like overtly like we're trying to push anything on you. It's kind of just you can kind of see like in the background stuff that we're trying to explore.
3: So you just said that you have the ending plan. So is is the book intended as a miniseries, or how many issues do you have planned out? Forty to sixty. Okay, not exactly a miniseries. <laughs>
4: not, not so much a miniseries. I'd say like if anything is closer like uh, manga or anime, where uh, sure. Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai is what like a season or two. Right. Yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. Like we have an ending, we have the beginning where they kind of get brought together and we have our ending on how we want to end that group. Um, and where we want to bring them. Uh, cause, we, and then we have a little like offshoots for like their origins and stuff. Well, so we have, a, we have a lot planned. Um, we're just getting started with the publisher. Our publisher is brand new too. Um, so we have some time to play with our stuff. We have a very special guest who's part of the publisher who are gonna ride the fuck out of his coattails? Uh, he'll be at he'll be at San Diego Comic-Con with us. We have a booth. Uh, if anyone's listening, gonna be in San Diego. We're at booth 2207. We'll be there. Our special guest will be there. I got in trouble for mentioning him on Facebook, so I'm not gonna <laughs> mention him on the podcast.
2: Can you can you mention the publisher?
4: AHR Visions. If you want to look on the website, you can find out who the special guest is and make your assumptions on what he will be doing at San Diego Comic-Con, but ahrvisions.com. That's the publisher. Uh, they're launching all their books as well. Uh, it's going to be their first wave of books. So we get to be a part of that. We actually have, because of the connections that they have to different areas, we're actually, uh, we have the opportunity to pitch it to a few streaming sites, which we came up with our pitch, uh, two months ago. Um, they're being worked out through some processes right now. So we have some multimedia stuff that's actually, no, kind of going through the works because, again, got super lucky with the publisher we met, or we met and super lucky with who we're surrounded by with the publisher
0: as well. That's awesome, man. That's Yeah, that's really cool. Definitely check out The Six Swords. Uh, Where can we where can we find you, right? And, wh- and how can people get involved with the book? How can they buy the book? When will it be available for purchase?
4: So the uh, the Kickstarter is over, so you can't pledge anymore. But you, uh, if you go to our Facebook, you can go to Facebook slash The Six Swords. Um, six is the full word, not a, a, a number. Um, and you can message us. We, we bought 1,000 a, a copies of the book. We have plenty if you really want one. Um, just email, or send, shoot us a message, um, and we can have it chipped out to you. It just will be outside of the Kickstarter. So, uh, go to our Facebook page, message us if you want to book or look at our art. We got a shit ton of art on there. We actually, I think have the first six pages on there in Spanish, French, and English. Um, just as like a little preview for everyone to see what it looks like. Uh, the third issue is wrapping up art production now. In the fall, we'll have the another Kickstarter for the full first arc, which will be a graphic novel. First three issues, about 60 or 70 pages. Actually, it's about 60, sorry not 70, 60 pages. And um, this summer, we're going to be working on the fourth issue, hopefully, with Plaid Claus, who is going to be brought on as the uh, the line artist.:
3: Is he going to be the, the lead art the lead artist from then on? or Yeah, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we're huge fans of Plaid. We've talked about him a couple times on the show.
4: Yeah, Plaid's a phenomenal artist. He actually has a book coming out with IDW, I believe this summer. Um, so you guys go find Plaid on the interwebs. Uh, he's got a book coming out too. And he's a fucking god of an artist.
3: He's a great Instagram follow. Like he, he posts his art all the time, like while he's in progress and everything. So yeah, definitely go check out his stuff. He's fantastic
4: art like he does everything he does the lines he does the inking and the yep, and the colors but you can see like he like sometimes if you take like a comic panel and you zoom it in it doesn't always look that great like each piece of, of plaids art is art in itself like he's super detailed and like specific on the art that he does you can take very small pieces of his book or like his paneling and it's fucking like spectacular he's gonna he's Someone I can guarantee is going to be a huge name within the next five ten years.
3: Yeah, I think so too. I absolutely think so too.
0: So, do you want to do you want to plug where we can find you on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? You can find
3: me on Twitter um,
4: at at sign a.k.a. the kid marvel. It'll be Chris at SDC two two zero seven right now. Usually it's Chris Um You can find my Facebook fan page uh, Christmasary, um, and you can find our. Uh, Instagram, it's at the Chris M-A-S-S, because um, it kind of looks like Christmas, and I thought that was funny. <laughs> and uh, uh, Facebook for the six swords, the S-I-X swords. And we got a shit ton of art on there. We have more to come this summer. Phil looks like he wants to point and say something.
1: Yeah, for the sake of our listeners. And uh, what's your credit card information and your social security?
4: Um... Uh- <laughs> So if you want to take all my credit, uh, there's about $20,000 worth of uh, (laughs) – FYI, if you want to make a comic, it was $15,000 with inks, lettering, coloring, um, and covers for the first three issues. Only three issues of comics. That's, almost, that's a car. So pl- <laughs> so please steal my identity.
0: Yeah, so please steal my identity. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, Chris, thanks a lot for giving us that info. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to continue with the show. You're more than welcome, of course, to stay on. In fact, I hope you do because we have a lot to do today, and it would be cool to have you on board for that.
4: Absolutely, because I have no idea what's happening.
0: Cool. So you're in for a treat then. Uh, so why don't we start – by playing the in-house game that only the Comics Pals have access to, uh, Apples and Origins. Pete, take it away.
3: Cool. All right. Um, so this is a game we like to play every time we have a guest on the show. Apples and Origins is a game where we put one minute on the clock, and then we kind of go round-robin style around the room, and we each uh, supply a detail for a um, either a character or a team or a comic. So it, it's... It becomes very apparent how the flow of the game goes as we'll actually play, um, but we're going to go in kind of a circular fashion, so we'll start with Chris, because he's the guest, and we'll go Chris, Marco, Kale, Sean, Phil, me. Okay. All right, so we'll let Chris pick the first thing, and then we'll start. Kleptomaniac. So, is Cleptomaniac. All right, here we go. Cleptomaniac. Start the clock. Go.
5: So they have pancake powers. Their touch turns things into pancakes. <laughs> he
1: eats all of the things he steals. He's black. He's an ostrich. <laughs> uh, he's a woman. He has he has
4: indigestion every time he eats the stuff. Uh, he steals <laughs> like really bad.
5: He he's he's exactly one point three stories high. His
2: uh his his main foe is is a uh, uh, a horse that plays the guitar.
0: <laughs> How do I follow that? Um, go the hor- the horse. The horse is ridden by a guy, the, the creator of the creature that we're talking about.
1: He's a manufacturer of sweatsuits.
0: Stop. <laughs> the horse <laughs> is black.
1: All right, let's recap.
3: All right, so to recap, we have a story. I got it. I got it. All right.
2: G- game's over, boys. I got my name.
3: All right. To recap, we've got a black transsexual woman with pancake powers. Who eats – who's a kleptomaniac.
2: Transgender?
3: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't – excuse me. Um, And uh, so who's a kleptomaniac who eats everything that they steal and turns everything that they steal into pancakes. uh, Who fights a horse who's ridden by the person that created this pancake kleptomaniac. Ostrich. ostrich. I forgot that she's an ostrich. And then the person who created her makes sweatsuits. I think that's, that's right. everything, right? <laughs> this one went real off the rails. Wow, yeah, this is the weirdest
0: one we've done. I would love to see this drawn.
3: This is definitely the weirdest one.
0: Kale says he's
2: got it. I've got this one, and I think I'm gonna put a nice little bow on it. Alright. Go ahead. El Cabang versus the Uh, versus Aunt Jemima the Hungry
3: Ostrich. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? It's the weirdest licensed book I've ever heard of.
1: I'd write that book. I'd read that
0: book.
3: These Hanna-Barbera books are getting real progressive, man.
0: Listeners, draw this book for us. Please. (laughs) Draw Uh, this cover. if you're listening. This is the one, man. Um, Chris, go ahead. The Patty Cake Maniacs. (laughs)
3: i like that her name should definitely be patty cake yeah mine is uh (laughs) flapjacked
0: these are all (laughs) really solid (laughs) i i'm gonna go with the big i'm gonna go with big black o
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's the all black cast version of big o Yeah. yeah exactly
1: uh I got
5: Patricia Punch Punch Cake.
3: <laughs> 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 Patricia Punchcake.
1: Calvin Klein's ostrich days. <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh, I'm calling Pete's. I like Pete's. Yeah, I like Pete's.
4: This is tough. I'm gonna go with hmm. It's on between Big Black O and Flapjacked.
1: I'm going with
3: Kale's. I'm going with Big Black O. <laughs> I'll
0: go with Kale. Ooh. I, is that a three-way tie? Well, Chris Chris hasn't chosen yet.
3: Two-way tie. If Chris votes for Sean, it's a three-way tie. If Chris votes for me or you, he's got a tiebreaker.
1: Shit. So I'm the tiebreaker? Yeah. The tiebreaker. Or the tie maker, which would be a, a runoff round. No, Big said,
4: Blacko. Oh, I'm going to be that guy. Okay. Three-way tie. You got
1: to do a runoff round between these three. Oh we have to do the lightning round. Oh, boy!
2: All
4: can you right.
1: Explain how the runoff works. All
3: right, yeah. So the lightning round is you put 30 seconds on the clock, and then the remaining players that weren't into the lightning round become the judges and have to uh, decide the the first thing that we're going to use.
1: That's right. So Chris, Marco, and I are going to have to set up your prompt for the lightning round. I
5: want I want something with
1: marshmallow people. Marshmallow people, Chris. What's uh? What can we set them up with? They hate babies. okay
3: Okay. marshmallow baby haters
1: they are suicidal jesus
3: suicidal marshmallow baby haters all right (laughs) let's do it start the clock i think
1: that's a name in itself that's already a book (laughs) so kale pete sean that's the order all right (laughs) really
2: hoping that wouldn't do that all right ready (laughs) yeah go uh, they're the
0: multicolored marshmallows.
3: <laughs> Sean's mad because he can't make them black. <laughs> Hurry up, Sean.
0: <laughs> Wait, it's your oh it's my go. Um yeah. sorry. They're they're based out of New York.
3: They're also dinosaurs.
0: They're uh uh gooey because they're cooked. Gross. Uh half of them are men and half of them are women. They're Irish. <laughs> <laughs> they have beards. <laughs> Stop. Stop. That's thirty seconds.
1: Alright. Give us a title, you three. Recap, though.
3: Suicidal marshmallow dinosaur people who are Irish multicolored and... Hey, babies. Hey, babies.
2: Got it. Go. The Craft Kamikaze Clan.
4: (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. God. (laughs) Dude. Nope.
2: He's... Nope. Absolutely not. I didn't want to be here,
0: (laughs) alright? There's a really obvious one. What is it? Uh, it's kind of trademarked already. I mean, they should be called the Suicide Squad.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'd read this over the Suicide Squad. <laughs>
1: yeah. Daddy's little monster.
3: You're a, you're a fucking monster, Phil. <laughs> All right. Mine is Lucky Charms Presents the Baby-Hating Brontos.
5: Right. <laughs> I would have kept it at Lucky Charms Presents. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're not playing,
5: Marco. Sorry. I kind of like, Kale's what was yours again? The Craft Kamikaze Clan. No, I'm not touching that. Nope, Pete. I I'll give it to you. These are weak
4: submissions.
3: So I just got handed it, right? Like,
4: how dare you? <laughs> I'm a judge. I can say that. Well, wait. Chris hasn't voted. See, I want to touch kales, but I think by my complexion, like I can send the wrong message. <laughs> so I have to uh, go.
2: They're Irish. It's not. <laughs>
4: yes because the irish have never been known to be racist ever look they have unfortunate initials they can't help that if if they if that's a constant thing that they talk about throughout their entire book is the unfortunate (laughs) initials no 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 we're not
2: those guys we're not those
4: guys that's an extra you know what that's an extra plus Uh, you you can have your knockoff kkk
3: (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) we'll call it Christmas, sorry, endorses the KKK. You heard it here first.
1: <laughs> That's the soundbite. Oh, <laughs> Jesus.
3: So Phil's the tiebreaker again. Or the tie maker.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. We're not continuing this charade. Pete, you win. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo>!
0: Okay, cool. <laughs> Good game. I want to do, Kale, your random question. But I want to do it very quickly. So you're going to ask the question.
3: So... I guess that means it's time for
0: the random question
3: of the week.
2: Yeah, this one should be pretty easy. Um, let me uh, let me set the stage here. So, so you uh, you just bought uh, uh, a movie theater. What movies do you play for your Friday, Saturday, Sunday opening weekend?
0: Porn. Uh, wow.
2: <laughs> that's not even a movie. Right. That's just a. That's... <laughs> Yeah, what do you mean? They have movies.
0: All right, boys, let's move
2: on to the news.
0: Let's, uh... <laughs> I got it. on On Friday, we're playing the we're playing Terminator Two. On Saturday, we're playing The Matrix, and on Sunday, we're playing uh The Dark Knight Rises or The Dark Knight. Easy,
3: baby. Friday night, New Hope. Saturday night, Empire. Sunday mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. Return of
0: the mm-hmm. Jedi.
5: Mm-hmm. Yep, that's mine.
3: Fuck yeah.
1: All right, on Friday night, we're going to play the Phantom Menace. <laughs>
3: Get off my fucking show!
1: Do it. Do it. It's, this is an actual heel turn. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've been healed for a while.
3: Friday, Phantom Menace. Saturday, Phantom Menace. Sunday, Phantom Menace. Only
1: Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Friday night, I'm going to play... <laughs> this is going to sound real corny. Grapes of Wrath. Saturday night, I'm going to play 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, uh, yeah. Sunday afternoon, matinee, we're doing Mad Max Fury Road, baby.
3: That's an eclectic bag of, of films, but I like all of them. So, I'm in.
1: Uh, My Friday
2: night is uh, Hook. My Saturday night is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh fuck yeah! And my Sunday uh, matinee is um, the Great Mouse
0: Detective. Oh, nice. the Great Mouse Detective. That solid. was my Those favorite when I was a kid. Three solid picks. Awesome. And Chris, you're just you're sticking Bang with Bang
1: Brothers presents.
3: Bang <laughs> Brothers presents. <laughs> we'll we'll do uh,
1: we'll, mi- we'll mix <laughs> it up.
4: We'll do we'll do, <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> We'll, we'll do Friday night. We'll do Clerks. Uh, right. Saturday night. We'll mix it up. We'll do uh, the original Spider Man with Tobey
1: Maguire. Right. And Sunday to bring it home. Bang Bros presents. <laughs> oh <my laughs> God. Can, we, can we take a second acknowledge Chris's presence on the shows? The most f bombs using the word "cunt" repeatedly, saying, that, supporting the off brand KKK, and not talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Bang Brothers presents movie theater. <laughs> He is a colder personality on his soapbox
0: right now. <laughs> what has this show become? I don't even know anymore. Uh, That was actually the quickest random question uh, we've ever done, but a good one. And if you want to send yours in to us, again, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, and you can send that random question in, and we will read it on the air. Uh, So before we do dive into the news, we've got some hashtag pals pulls for you guys. This is the stuff that's coming out this upcoming week that we think is worth your time, uh, curated by the pals. First up, uh, from me, we've got Batman number 26- Uh, So, Tom King's Batman run has been pretty solid so far. And he's neck deep into the War of Jokes and Riddles arc. So, check that out. It's really good so far. Uh, So, this is the second issue of that. So, give it a read. And then also for me is Wonder Woman by Greg Rucka Volume 2. So, if you're like me and you still have the thirst for Wonder Woman, uh, you can check this out. I am really excited because Wonder Woman's uh, Greg Rucka's Wonder Woman run, the original one, uh, has been out of print for a while. Volume 1 was released a little while ago, and we finally got Volume 2, so check that out. Um, this one's coming from Pete, Rat Queens number 4. I don't read Rat Queens. Pete, do you want to speak to that?
3: Yeah, it's like I wanted to call it out just because I, I haven't been reading the second volume of Rat Queens because I think I've talked a lot about the the drama around the book. And like, honestly, I'm kind of throwing it on here because I want someone at home to tell us, have you, have you picked up the second volume? What are you guys thinking about it? Should I come back? Because I miss that book a lot, but <clears throat> something about Curtis Weeby right now and me are just, I don't know. Like, I feel weird about it. So I'm throwing it out to the listeners at home because I want you to tell me if you're reading
0: it and if it's still good. Cool. Uh, and then this one's from Pete and Marco. It's not girl number six. I don't yeah, read boy. this either. So. Woo. Yeah. Uh
5: Excited, like yeah, uh, craving it. Wow,
3: yeah, absolutely. I mean, Marco and I both agreed when we did our our talk about 2016 in comics. I think that Snot Girl was our favorite new book of the year. So yeah, I, I can't fucking wait for it to come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pete and Marco, love that snot. Oh yeah, we're snot boys.
0: You're snot boys. There you go. <laughs> That's gross. Um, <laughs> and then also from Pete is The Walking Dead 169. Uh, we already know what The Walking Dead is, um, and then this one I chose these these next few I chose because I think that they're a great offer for anyone who might be looking to um, freshen up for Spider Man the release of the movie, uh, which is next Friday. Uh, so Marvel is really has released or re-released I should say the f- number ones of a few major Spider Man story arcs. For a dollar a piece. So you can get the True Believers Amazing Fantasy number one, which is the first appearance of Spider Man. You can get True Wait, Be- you mean 15? No, Amazing Fantasy. Oh, well, it's True Believers Amazing Fantasy number one. It's not the oh, same as. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
3: I was like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh True Believers Spider Man number one and True Believers Spider Man Brand New Day number one. So that's a lot of good Spider Man content for you if you are looking to brush up on your spider-man knowledge and if you are looking to brush up you should stay tuned to this show because we're going to have a lot of spider-man content coming we did our specials for wonder woman and we're going to do a similar thing for spider-man so stay tuned to that uh so now we're going to do some news it's been a been a pretty big news week uh And we're gonna start off with what I think is probably the most uh, controversial thing that we've got going on this week, uh, because Marvel released the trailer for their Inhumans show, and that's the most controversial controversial thing.
4: I'm looking at Twitter right now. That is not the most controversial (laughs) thing going on. Well, the
0: most the most controversial thing going on in comics we're not gonna talk about because the divided states of hysteria is. I just want to point out. I'm more triggered by the thing that
4: was is the comics without context, the thing of Blob eating wasp, than I am that cover because the other one is way more graphic. Where Blob has her fucking yeah. Well, oh, that's yeah from Ultimate, I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> what is this fucking episode? <laughs> not not uh not great. Um, so. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about Divided States of Hysteria. We've, we've we've talked about that book enough. There's a new cover out that people are mad about. If you care about that, go check it out. But I don't want to give time to that kind of stuff anymore. Um, so Marvel's released the trailer for their Inhumans television show. Uh, the reason why I say it's controversial is because people are very divided on the quality level of this thing. So what do you guys think about it? Did you all get to check it out?
2: It looks bad. The trailer looks a lot better than the promotional images. Uh, but it's still not enough to make me want to watch it.
3: I think it just looks like, you know, I, I think when we talked about, um, when we had that episode about if Spider-Man would work as a Netflix show, I I remember Sean made a lot of points about how he's kind of turned off by the, uh, television offerings from DC because they just look kind of cheap. And that was basically my big walk away from this is like, it looks like people in fucking Halloween costumes, you know? And the Inhumans are, like, a super, super comic booky property, and I don't think that plays. Like, yeah, maybe you can get away with, like, Arrow because it's, like, a street-level guy with no powers, but, like, it just looks very shoddy, I think.
4: It should have been a movie. You should have yeah. got, like, high-quality CGI because um, it does look shoddy. Even, like, I, I mean, I like uh, Legends of Tomorrow, but that's, like, necessarily cheesy. You kind of can tell, like, it goes to more, like, the cheesy aspect of comics and the way it's it's done um but in humans it's like meant to be serious it's meant to be this kingdom and at least use like game of throne kind of like you don't like the city at least from the sets that you see isn't very elaborate it seems very basic it doesn't give you the sense that this is a technological super race that's been living on the moon
0: yeah i i agree um so i was i went into this Putting aside everything that I had thought regarding the uh, first promo image that came out, because I just I wanted to really like this because I'm, I'm, I love the Inhumans. Uh, but I, I got to say, like, it just didn't look good. The the, the script, the dialogue just sounded poor. Uh, Maximus gives a speech about how they need to take over Earth. They need to go to Earth. And it just, it's, just didn't sound like anything that a person would actually say. Um, I popped, I got really excited when Lockjaw came out, because I love Lockjaw, um, but when I watched the trailer a second time, I realized just how CG he looks, and that turned me off, um, and if if it was a movie, I mean, okay, Lockjaw's not really there, we all know that, but if it was a movie, he would've looked better, you know, we know that, um, And then,
3: yeah, it's just it's a it's a stark difference between like him and what you see with like Rocket or Groot, where like they don't feel like CGI characters
0: exactly. Uh, And then Black Bolt eventually does come to Earth. He's teleported by Lockjaw, and he gets hit by a cop, and he grunts, and a car goes flying, and it's like, yes, we know that Black Bolt's we know what his power set is, but I felt like showing it in that way was just a little cheesy, I guess, for me. And uh, I thought there was a better way to do that. And maybe you don't put that in a trailer. Maybe it works better in the episode. I don't know, but for me, I would think it, it works
4: better. In, I would in, agree in, that it works that better yeah. in the episode. Like, don't show that right off the bat for people who don't know. Just it right. needs to be an ominous presence till it finally happens.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And so this is just it. It, it like I was hyped for Agents of Shield. This this is worse. You know, Agents of Shield kind of devolved a little bit. It's better now, but. Um, it, it got a little bad, you know, in the beginning, this off the – before it even gets out of the brakes, it looks poor. Well, and, and uh, even, even the Inhuman stuff
2: in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. looks better than this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what happened. I'm going to watch it because I, I want this to be good and I want to like it. But, you know, it does. it's just not doing much for me so far.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's always the chance that it has a successful enough first season that it has a similar trajectory to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where it gets more money and then it can do better effects and a better show. But I just don't know that I care. You know, it's like I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not watching that show. And I feel like I'm gonna have a pretty similar attitude about this, especially if it does come out and it does look shoddy and the writing's bad. And it's like, I, you know, <clears throat> I get why you feel that way because, like, you're really attached to the property. But I think a lot of people are gonna have probably a very similar reaction of just, like, why should I care about this? Well, you
0: know? all of the feedback online has been really negative, quite frankly. Yeah.
3: So I, don't, I, I think this show's going to have an uphill battle when it comes out, because I think people are expecting it to be shitty, and it doesn't look like it's going to be far off from what people's expectations are, frankly.
0: I thought, you said the, I thought you said the reaction was split. Well, it's split, but like people who don't care about the Inhumans, people who don't know what this is, they're, they're very like, well, what is this? You know, This looks stupid. Okay, uh, and that's that's unfortunate because the Inhumans aren't stupid, and people who, like people like me who who are fans, they get it. But you know,
4: Medusa looks fucking weird. Like her hair yeah, does, does not look; look it does not look like you. Like they've had plenty of other redheads, like your redheads, and other comic properties, and they look natural. Medusa's looks completely unnatural and like super like cheap dye, and not even
0: dye. Like it, like it. It looks like a cheap headpiece and and again if it were a movie they would have put money into it her hair would have been very flowy you know and we've all seen her before she's supposed to have flowy like outrageous hair and here it just looks like yeah right so uh it's unfortunate but i i i'm still gonna give it a chance uh but so let's talk about something that is overwhelmingly been positively received so far because spider-man homecoming has reviews out uh so we are we are just a few days out from this movie's release and rotten tomatoes so far has 75 reviews counted and 70 of them are fresh with five of them being rotten so that is an average rating of 7.7 out of 10 this gives me hope uh I said on the show last week that I wasn't terribly excited and that there were some things that were giving me cause to pause with this show, or I'm sorry, with this movie. Um, But now that I've read reviews that are positive, I feel good about this. What do you guys think?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think I was going into it more warm than you were. You know, I've definitely been excited for this movie ever since we saw Tom Holland's appearance in Civil War. Um, I have faith that Marvel knows what to do with the Spider-Man brand, and it seems like they're... Kind of pulling a lot of the greatest hits of what works for, like, young high school Peter as well as Miles and bringing them together, which I think is a smart move. Um, Yeah, I definitely – I think some of your concerns have been valid, but now that, like, I'm hearing people definitively say that they really enjoyed it – uh, one of my favorite you know, online personalities said it was his favorite superhero movie and he's a huge DC guy and isn't super into the Marvel stuff. So um, I definitely, I'm more excited for it now than I was, even though I was fairly positive about it. I feel more confident going into it that it is going to be something that I like, not just that I want it to be something that I like.
4: Hashtag not my Flash Thompson. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll say the uh,
4: Spider-Man looks phenomenal. They got, they got a great Peter Parker. They got all that stuff. It's just all the dumb stuff outside of it that kind of like depresses me or like disappoints me a little bit. Like why doesn't Sony get the fucking message by now? Like it reminds you that the dumb meme that it's like uh, why do we keep having to do this old man? Like why doesn't Sony get – they shouldn't be in charge of their property. Marvel clearly understands it. Makes a shit ton more money without them doing anything. Why are you guys trying to fuck it up and go back to things that you're going to bomb? Like Venom is going to bomb. Tom Hardy could be a great Venom. He's got the Eddie Brock look. Just dye his fucking hair blonde. Looks like a big, hulking, you know, whatever. Cool. Hold off. Take your time. Stop trying to rush into shit. Let the creators do creative shit and stop having studio execs get their hand in shit. Like the Silver Sable Black Cat movie. Sounds interesting. Sounds interesting as fuck. But because it's not combined with the MCU and Sony's doing it, It's going to bomb. It's going to be awful. You could have a great, like, you know, heisty, anti-villain type movie you could do with Silver Sable and Black Cat. A lot of fun that could come out of that. Why is Sony – because it's going to bomb now. You're going to ruin potential characters that could, you know, hit a a different audience because it's two female leads. And you could do something fun with a heisty – I don't even know how they would play it, but a heisty movie, crime heist, something. And it'd be fucking phenomenal. But Sony's doing it, and I have no faith in it. Same thing with Venom. Venom and Carnage. Apparently, they're going to have Carnage in it, too. Like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're just going fucking right off the bat because you're like, oh, Venom and Carnage make money. Take your fucking time. Like, how did you not learn your lesson now with the last two Spider-Man movies? The fact that you were definitely going to bomb any sinister Six shit you did. Like, fucking relax. Let, just let Marvel do it. Take, rake in your money without actually having to do anything. That's my take. And outside, everything in Spider-Man looks cool except for Flash Thompson for me. And I get it. They're at like a super intelligent high school and jock Flash doesn't work. But that kind of ruins the original dynamic of what made the Flash-Peter dynamic important, which was nerd versus jock, you know, big physical presence. And then suddenly Peter has is physically inept and then suddenly is super physically inept but can't do anything to Flash because you know, great responsibility stuff. So I feel like that kind of ruins an important dynamic and dichotomy of the, of those characters, especially when you move on later, if they were going to do venom, right? With flash Thompson, that kid's not, you know, military vet, like even intimidating in any way. So I understand why they're doing it. I understand they want a diverse cast. It doesn't make sense for flash Thompson, intelligent football jock to be in a super intelligent school. But I feel like they could have read it, oh, he's on a football scholarship and had fun with that or something. I don't know. Outside of Flash Thompson, everything else looks fucking amazing.
0: Cool. Uh any other thoughts before we move on? Mark, are you ready for that Venom movie?
5: Oh, I'm excited for it, honestly. I'm I'm it's one of the movies I'm looking forward to personally. Super excited. <laughs> me and, my, and, and And here's here's why, Pete. Here's why. Let me let me just give you like a like just Cause I have no context for the character, right? You you guys know this. I I don't know. Me, I thought Peter. I thought that Venom was just like Eddie Brock, Brock straight up, and he's just like he's a bad guy, like whatever. Other than that, other than that,
0: look into my eyes. (laughs) And listeners want Marco to talk more. (laughs) Yeah, let's give Marco his time.
2: When Pete's. Emotions get triggered. His hair changes colors.
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird it's a thing. It's so weird. His red. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all sincerity, um, I mean, I don't know anything about the character. I'm I'm gonna go into it c- with no expectations. <laughs> I'm, I'm with no expectations, just and just jump in and be excited.
0: <laughs> Good. I'm gl- I'm glad you're taking that stance. So here, So this this next piece of news. Is really interesting, and I'm particularly interested in hearing what Phil has to say. That's me. Yeah. So, apparently, Warner Brothers is developing a Red Sun film, a live action Red Sun movie. So, there's some interesting backstory here, so I'll give you guys that. So, um, Mark Millar uh, and The Kong Skull Island director, Jordan Roberts, uh, were talking and they kind of revealed that Warner Brothers had turned down a pitch that Mark Millar had shot their way for a Superman Red Sun movie. Uh, But according to Den of Geek, they've got it on a very, very reliable source that the studio is looking to bring Mark Millar back to talk about making this movie and that they want him to uh, be involved in the creation of. Of a Red Sun film. Uh, So, this is a quote directly from Mark Millar. Uh, I've got pals at Warner Brothers, but never discussed it with them. I think they're just going through their back catalog of big books and hoping to lure in good directors as opposed to any particular interest in developing Red Sun. So, it's not confirmed, but this is an interesting thing that they could possibly be doing and the fact that these two people are talking about it lends credence to this theory uh, especially since then of geek is saying that they've got a reliable source on this so
3: there was also um, a part of the twitter exchanges i think at the end the director said that there was like another script they were shopping around and stuff that like he had heard more about it since Millar had been turned down, right? Like that was kind of the end of their conversation,
0: right? Yeah. So the, there's definitely there's definitely meat to this. It's not you know it's not just some in the wind random thing. Um, so it's 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 possible. Is it plausible? And would it make sense for where they're at right now? Is the question that I'm posing to you guys.
1: Um. So to me, I I saw the little blurb about that film a couple days ago, and my immediate reaction to that was. It's just, I don't know, it could be good. No I mean, sure. But it, <laughs> my reaction Oh no,
3: Phil Phil cares about this, Kale, so no. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, no, bad. that
1: that's not where I was going. To me it seemed like pre develop pre development posturing. Like the type of thing that would never get off the ground, kind of thing. That's how I saw it. Like this is just talking. But if they were to make a Red Sun Superman movie, um when I think about the story, it's re- relatively short. It's it's three maxi issues. Um, in Malara, in general, crafts his stories in a way that it could lend like it could lend itself to a cinematic adaptation. Generally, I think adapting a a, a pre a, a a book that's already been created into a film isn't always the best because like just tell an original story is usually where I'm at. But I think. There, I mean, I think, I think there's something that could be there for something that could be really good.
0: So, I agree with you. I think a Red Sun Superman movie actually could be great. Yeah. But I don't think that they have any business making that movie. Because if you're talking about modern audiences and you're talking about a comic book that takes place in an alternate reality, I see there being a ton of confusion on the part of fans as to what this even is. Uh, And then there's a lot of questions. Do you recast Henry Cavill as Superman? Do you recast Wonder Woman? Do you recast Batman? Or do you use the the same actors but have them portray basically totally different versions of the characters? I think you probably
1: recast. Yeah, I I think it would just be a standalone thing. Sure. Honestly, I think that
3: would be really cool. You know, like, the more I think about it is, like... I think DC's whole strategy to rush and try to catch up to Marvel by having the shared cinematic universe is like clearly not been working for them very well. And I think we've talked in the weeks past about how they've kind of been restructuring and, you know, they're like putting um, a focus on movies that have like a creative team behind them and that there's like a reason to create for a reason other than like they feel they need this movie to be made, you know? And I think like, Red Sun is a perfect example of that. If there is, like, a team that has a vision for that movie, it could work really well. And I think if you do just lean specifically on showing this alternate telling of how Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all fit into the broader world, like, and focus it on the Trinity, who are characters that people know very well, you know, Wonder Woman recently. But um, I think that could work well enough and I don't know if it would be too confusing for modern audiences just because I feel like we they kind of get that stuff a little bit better now like we've seen we had a whole X-Men movie that was all about alternate realities and timelines and them crossing over and like a more hyper comic booky kind of setup but I think if it's explained or framed well enough and it's a good movie that people could get behind that. I don't
1: think it even needs to be explained too much. I, I was thinking about it while you were talking and like I think the fact that it would take place in the Soviet Union would be enough for people to, like recognize that this is just its own little thing. Um, it's funny, yeah.
3: Like a what if Superman was raised in the Soviet Union? Like yeah. that makes
1: sense. You
4: literally only have to have that as like a, a beginning cue card, or like a narrator yeah. say, "This yeah. is a what if." If what if Superman? It doesn't have to be anything. Um,
0: what if
1: America's greatest defender landed in the Soviet Union? <laughs> I. Uh, it's funny because we had that random question 20 episodes ago where someone asked what would our ideal superhero movie be and i said like a john ham led red sun superman movie
0: yeah you so, did so, so maybe we're one step closer to getting that
1: so i think mark millar or someone is listening to our show
4: i think the biggest problem isn't even like the audience getting the concept i think the concept would be gotten i think the movie would be a short standalone fun concept that people would like The problem is the studios. A studio would never buy something like that because for right now, the way Hollywood is, they want franchises. They want these big, long enterprises. Yeah. And they would be more of the problem. I think more of the problem would be getting the film off the ground itself. The actual film. I mean, they haven't gotten Superman. They haven't gotten a Superman film right yet. So I would like them to get like a regular Superman. Right. But I think a fun movie like this would do really well. I don't know. I know everyone goes back to like the eighties and like, before um franchises but if there's a little more freedom in hollywood i think a standalone film would be phenomenal i think the problem right now is studio execs they'd be like well, what's the plan for this what do we get out of this how long is this going to be what's the merchandising it's like well it's just right. a film that would be fun that we think people would like i think that's more of the problem than people getting i think you put a little flash card Oh, this is an alternate reality. What if Superman landed in the Soviet Union instead of America? People are like, okay, I got it. Don't need to know anything else. I w- I wonder though if maybe the choice of the director
2: would affect that. You know, if if like George Miller decided to jump on this one if they go, okay, yeah, do whatever you want.
1: George Miller would be so good for a Red Sun Superman movie. That
0: would be a perfect fit. So, we talked about Wonder Woman, we talked about Batman, and we talked about Superman, but as it turns out, Wonder Woman has the biggest success of all of these characters on screen so far in the DCEU, uh, because her, her movie, which just released, uh, you know, a few weeks ago has now earned more than Batman, Superman, man of steel and suicide squad. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty huge, um, it's pretty huge thing for her. Uh, this is the highest grossing female led female directed film. Um, by so by Patty Jenkins. So congratulations to her. Uh, so this movie gross has grossed so far $330.5 million, uh, domestically, which just barely edges out Batman versus Superman's domestic haul of 330.4 million. Uh, but wonder woman is still in theaters and Batman Superman is not, uh, wonder woman accomplished that feat in 28 days. Whereas Batman versus Superman took 84 days to make as much as it did. And, Has Wonder Woman
3: hit all the international markets and everything already?
0: Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, the, the interesting thing, though, is that Wonder Woman had less drop-off in terms of people seeing the film than any of these movies. <laughs> Not uh, and- surprising than most comic book movies. So that that's talking you're talking about repeat business and you're also talking about um you're also talking about great word of mouth. So people who might have been trepidatious to see the film that then end up going to see it the week after, the week after that when they hear that it's good. So that's really positive.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean we are definitely huge fans of the movie. You can go check out our review on it um i'm glad to see it's doing well because like i want to see more you know i want another wonder woman movie with this creative team um because i thought it was really you know uh like obviously it was the best movie in the dceu canon like i don't think that's even up for debate in my opinion but um i think it's also just upper echelon of superhero movies overall frankly making a good movie makes you
4: money or something like that <laughs> get right out of here, here. you're crazy What do you mean? (laughs) Pisses me off. They finally, it's like, Hey, why don't we actually make a good movie and not try to like fucking do the gravy train of fucking uh, property names. Like let's just throw Batman and Superman as a title and we're going to make money. Fuck man, make your shit quality and people will keep coming back. It's all you got to do. That's why wonder woman is fucking successful. Keep doing that
0: shit. Agreed. And I think Chris said it all. (laughs) Uh, So on the subject of, of wonder woman, uh Kevin Feige's been interviewed about the character and he had some interesting things to say uh he spoke to Mashable and this is the f- this is what he said what it does do is go oh thank god uh and he was referring to whether or not this changes the plans for the Captain Marvel film, and he's saying it doesn't do that. Uh, and so the rest of this is the quote, because what the question would have been on this junket before that is, do you think people want to see a female superhero movie? Do you think audiences are ready to go see a big, are you nervous about Captain Marvel being a big, the first female superhero And I would always say no, because there hasn't been a good one in a long time. There were, you know, 15 years ago, a bunch of bad ones. Did they fail because they were female-led movies? No. They failed because they were not good movies. I don't have to say that anymore, thanks to Wonder Woman, because it just blows that fallacy out of the water. So I agree with that. I think there's always been the question of, can a female-led superhero movie be good? Uh, and you know, so far the answer had been no, or a lot of people had said no because we'd had failures like Elektra and Catwoman. But I think that's ridiculous. You know, I think anything can be good if it has the right team behind it and the right. Go ahead, Phil. Could be good. Uh, and so this movie has proven that a female-led superhero movie can be good, and I think a lot of us knew that already. But now the the people yeah. who were lagging behind and didn't get it, now you know.
3: I just I feel like that entire thing is just such a ridiculous fallacy. You know, it's like we have proof that female-led action movies sell and I don't think superhero movies are any different. You yeah, know, it's Pete, like
1: Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. We had Daddy's Little Monster leading the way proving that
3: I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you so goddamn much. Oscar award-winning film. Um she wasn't leading the way. So She was the co-lead.
0: Mm. So Enough of Phil. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about Death Note. Now, the full disclosure: I don't know anything about this, uh, but I watched the trailer. Marco wanted to talk about it. Yeah, Marco all wanted to talk in. about it
5: because I'm upset.
0: Oh, I I'm really interested in what you're upset about because I thought the trailer looked really cool and I'm excited for this. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're mad about?
5: I'm upset. Because, has anyone else uh, seen the anime or read the manga?
4: Yeah. Oh, I'm raising my hand. I guess I, I got to say it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Too much visual shit in one episode.
5: <laughs> for me, uh, it's not at all sticking to what the uh, like the story is about. Like they're they're trying to make it into like an action movie, and the very essence of it is supposed to be very. Uh it's a very like maniacal, tactical, manipulative story and this is just making it look like a summer blockbuster, which is no fun because one, the story is really dense and very, very long, and for them to condense into a movie, even if it's like two hours, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that's gonna obviously be cut. Um and I think that was my like my trepidations when we first heard about it. It was just like, ah, I don't know if it's a movie, like, you know, it should be a series. And um yeah, I keep it's forgetting just- it's a movie. Yeah, and and I mean, if they had made it into a series, like awesome, that would have been so much better for the material. But they're making it into a movie, so you know, it looks garbagey. Uh, Ryuk looks cool. the the Shinigami he's uh, played by William Defoe William Defoe, so that looks pretty cool. I'm excited for that because yeah, know, that's exciting. He's creepy enough. So, um, <laughs> uh, other than that, I don't know. the The characters look off. The uh, the way that they were portrayed, I, it doesn't seem like it's gonna be close to what was see what we were shown in like the show. Um, like it, I I don't I don't see it being a well made adaptation.
0: Chris, you you've also watched it. You want to give your thoughts as well?
4: Uh, I I agree. It's definitely Americanized as fuck. Like it's not yeah. It's not. Like there's certain times you can kind of see like films are trying to stick with the original, uh, country of origin or origin. This is like just straight up. Like we're making an Americanized thing. And I agree. It's way less, uh, psychological, like thriller. Like it it should be a thriller. It should really be a series. I think a series, a short Netflix series, finding a way to condense it just to shorten it. But I think a series would work better. It's not something you can do in a film. Um, the only thing that's a huge plus, is Defoe, like I think Defoe is—he's creepy as fuck. Like he looks good, he sounds good. Like his whole, the whole character for him in it is phenomenal. Everything else, like L and the rest of the, the cast, just it seems off. It's too Americanized and it's too actiony. I, I agree. I'm still gonna watch it because I'm gonna be like it's probably like a popcorn film, but I'd rather have something that I can watch over a series—a psychological that I enjoy in the Netflix format and it would do so much better justice to the original.
3: Yeah. It's unfortunate. Cause I feel like the story itself, um, I, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but like I'm familiar with what it's about. I feel like it would play probably pretty well as like a serialized drama. You know, no? I think it yeah, would be yeah.
4: perfect as like a series, like all the, the Netflix series that come out that are thrillers or like long standing form yeah. shows that they don't condense would be perfect. Like this, this could be the stranger things like the the summer netflix
3: sure theme. sure right right. yeah i i i think that would totally work
4: yeah confuses me cuz i would think like netflix series netflix thing is long standing form serialized shows
3: yeah they're getting more into movies lately though you know like they did that deal with adam sandler like they've got um they're making that m- yeah, they're making a movie with Will Smith that, like, Max Landis is working on and stuff. So, I mean, like, it seems like this is kind of a new initiative for them. Which is cool, and I'm all about
4: that. But I feel like if they want to do original movies, which I'm very happy that Netflix is moving into, like, can pick up where Hollywood's kind of left off the original sure. film aspects of things. I just think it's like this is kind of like a drop of the ball on their end because this is – it's it's a great series, and you have the opportunity to take a great, you know, written comic manga series – and turn it into a show and like really play off the fact that it it's a serialized show like Marvel has their series why not start doing live action anime series just you know Netflix style like perfect for like I talked about my comic earlier where it's like it's only a 40 to 60 page thing there's so many manga or anime series that are only 40 to 60 you know comic series issues and that's it you could do so much and start your own kind of live action anime series just as Netflix shows and it started with this
0: yeah uh, that's that's definitely an interesting point um, and I agree I'm excited for this I don't have the context that you guys have uh, you're probably right um, but I'm still going to give this a chance and uh, if it is good maybe I'll, I'll watch the anime and you know, I still haven't really got, gotten into anime so uh, maybe this will be my jumping on point who knows
5: I suggest, I suggest you watch the anime first and then I can't do it man
0: I can't. Because he's not a fucking weeb. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's let's move on. We've <laughs> talked about what the next Batman film could be, right? We've talked a lot about what DC could have planned, what Warner Brothers could have planned for the Batman film. And now we know because Matt Reeves has been talking a lot about uh, what this movie could be. Um, so he's been... He's been, he's working on the War of the Planet of the Apes film, uh, which is gonna release soon, and he's been talking a lot about that for the press junket for that film, uh, and so speaking with new trailer buzz, uh, he was asked some questions about the Batman film, which he is directing, and he revealed what the film is gonna be. So, uh, I'll read you the following quote. One of the reasons I was drawn to it is I had a similar fascination to Batman when I was younger that I had with the Apes series, which I was obsessed with. I see a parallel emotionally between Caesar and Batman in that they're both characters who are tortured and trying to sort of grapple within themselves to find the way to do the right thing in a very imperfect and to some degree corrupt world. It's really <clears throat> that emotionality that I'm interested in. In all of my films, what I try to do in an almost Hitchcockian sense is use the camera and use the storytelling so that you become the character and you emphasize with that point of view. I think there's a chance to do an almost noir-driven detective version of Batman that is point-of-view driven in a very, very powerful way that hopefully is going to connect you to what's going on inside the head and heart of this character. So, that yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, And also... Uh, we we've talked about how it seemed like they were hot shotting this film because it did it did have the release uh, the release date of 2019, sometime in 2019. But it doesn't look like they're sticking to that. It looks like the film is going to be shooting in 2018 at some point. And that uh, though we know Ben Affleck will be playing Batman, um, they're reworking the film and not going in the direction of what he had originally written for this film. Uh, so they're rewriting the script, and it doesn't look like Reeves is even going to have time to interview or speak with any actors. For this film until at least July, so uh, we've got we've got a long way away from this film, but it seems like they're doing the right thing with it. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, the the only thing I really I didn't uh, read the full article, so I didn't I didn't uh, see the the quote you just said, but the headline was basically uh, Batman to be a noir movie. But well, f- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's Pat- no, but like but yeah. like but like a good noir movie. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I I have a lot of uh faith in Reeves as a director. I I'm a big fan of his uh I I'm not familiar with his work outside of his stuff with the Planet of the Apes series, but like Planet of the Apes is a, a IP that I you know, I'd seen a couple of the other movies and enjoyed them, but I had no real relationship to um but his um Trilogy I guess now that it will be when it when this comes out. Uh, I think they're fantastic films I think they're really well made and I think um, To the the point he's making about what he likes in a leading character I think that is the strength of him as a as a filmmaker is that he makes or has made these big blockbusters but that they feel very Grounded in terms of that the characters have a lot of heart and that there's a lot of emotionality there and I think if he can bring that to Batman um and and tell this kind of like more quiet nor batman story i think that that could be really cool. or excuse me that could be really great uh
2: did you mean could be
3: good
0: could be good (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i think that this kind of film opens us up to being able to play with different characters as well with different villains which excites me Uh, I'd really love to see them expand the cast. We've seen this kind of the same villains used throughout the 20-year history of Batman films, so I'd like to see them diversify a bit, and going down this road allows us to do that, so I'm excited for that. Who would you want to see? I'd like to see... I'm a big fan of Mad Hatter. I'd like to see Mad Hatter be used. Uh, I really like Scarface. I don't know if Scarface and the Ventriloquist could carry a solo movie, but I think that as, you know as villains in conjunction with someone else, they could be really cool. Um and I th- I think you could do I think there's a really good Red Hood story that's baked into the DCEU that's just waiting to be told. So and and even though you guys were joking, uh Black Mask, I really would like to see Black Mask. So
2: um I've I've thought this about comics a lot. Like I would I would really genuinely like to see a, a good Mr Freeze. You know, like a uh like the uh the animated series mr freeze story
0: i think mr freeze is an absolutely perfect villain for a movie he has a unique power set that's interesting visually he has a very tragic i mean you could get you could he could be the doc ock of batman's rogues gallery for the films you look at what they did with spider-man 2 you could do that with mr freeze
2: and and actually alfred molina would be a great mr freeze
0: oh man that's
2: yeah
3: Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger reprises his
3: role. I'm done. Come on, do it. right, so enough of that.
0: Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about our main topic. Let's dive into our main topic, which (sighs) is sure to trigger some of us. Uh, We've talked a lot on this show, especially recently, about what Sony's planning on doing with Spider-Man and their film universe and what. It's what is important to a comic book film, and so my question to you guys is the following: Are core fans important to the success of comic book films? Uh, they always make changes. Studios always make changes to these characters and to the storylines when they bring it when they bring them to film. Um, but can too much change, like what Fox did with Fantastic Four in the recent film, or what Sony's doing, hurt these films at the box office by alienating us, the core fans? Uh, or have comic book films just grown beyond us, and the fan base that made these characters popular, and do they no longer need to adhere to our demands for accuracy in order for these films to be successful? That's the that's the meat of the question here. So, I don't think it matters too much, honestly. Like, like
1: just, uh, speaking of just from like a financial aspect, I think like the quality of a film perceived by an audience is really the most important thing. Like, the X-Men films take a lot of liberties with the subject material, but most of them do very well financially, and a lot of people like them. Um, and then, you know, it, it, ultimately, I think the biggest indicator is just the quality of the picture in the
0: audience's eyes. So you, so you don't think that core audiences and the, the desire on their part for accuracy matters anymore?
1: I don't know if it really ever did too much, to be honest.
0: Hmm.
3: i I actually agree with Phil. um I think especially if you, even if you look at something like um like the original Superman movie, right, which is a thing we talk about a lot as being really definitive for Superman, but that's because it was so popular, not because it was like this perfect adaption of the character or anything like that. It took a lot of liberties and it made a lot of rules that would become rules for Superman, yeah yeah <clears throat> and um
1: Superman, we and talked about that old- both.
3: Sure. Yeah, we've talked about the old Fleischer cartoons, you know, that were the thing that created that Superman could fly. So I don't necessarily think that like true staying true to the source material was the thing that did matter as much until the advent of the internet and like we had message boards and you know threads and people complaining that things weren't enough like the source material or or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know that it actually really matters. I think it matters to us as fans, but and we talk about it every. Every week on this show about how there aren't that many of us, you know? Like, the highest-selling comic sells, you know, a 100,000 issues if If it's, you know, really successful. Yeah, Yeah, if it's really successful. And that's that's
2: really successful.
3: Right. That's, like, one of the – that's, like, best-selling book of the year, you know, or, like, one of the biggest issues of the year kind of thing. So – D- based on how many people go to see these movies, obviously it, it depends on a lot more than just people that already are familiar with the characters or the subject matter or the material, whatever, you know, the IP in general. So I think, I think it's kind of dancing a line of you want to appeal to that core fan base, but you have to make something that's digestible to the average viewer. Like that's just the reality of making these movies financially viable because they cost a ton to make and they're not interested in making something that only speaks to the people that they already have frankly you know i think i think that matters more the less well known the property is you know i think um but even that you know i think it does matter like inhumans right i think it's important on some level for inhumans to hit to speak to those inhumans fans cuz there aren't a ton of inhumans fans but in the same breath, like, they need to make new ones because, like, that's what they did with Guardians, right? And Guardians, they took a ton of liberties and they did stray from the source material and it worked. And it made a new definitive take on those characters. So, I think it really depends.
5: Yeah. And, uh, like, adding on to that, I don't think that core fans are necessary. Like, we don't need to be hitting those people anymore because we're already at a point, even in the comics market, where we're hitting, like, diminishing returns. We, we need to bring in people outside of that and the movies are the vehicle or they're trying to make the movies the vehicle to bring those and so when they hit a larger audience you're pushing people down uh, a funnel to hopefully become comic book fans and readers so you, you're not hitting like you're not making an indie film and then showing it showcasing it at like the Greenwich theater because like only 5,000 people are, are gonna go see it like you know you're you're trying to hit a mass market so I don't think that I I don't, I don't even think we should be addressing. I, I mean, personally, I don't think we should be addressing like the the core fans, like the people who pick up the the books on a monthly basis A weekly basis. Like they right. already the, care. Yeah, you don't need to hit. You don't need to hit them. Like 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 uh, the the one. Uh, sorry, right before that. Uh, the the what? Like, Sean. He's always like, you know, I this the movie makes me. I, I don't. I don't like it. I don't. know, Whatever. But I'm gonna go see it. Like that like that's the thing we we don't we don't have to hit you sean they, they don't have to hit i don't think they They don't have to hit any of us because we're gonna go see it doesn't matter mm,
0: uh actually i'll let chris go go ahead chris
4: i disagree i can understand like uh there's uh, it goes two ways one i do think um you kind of need you need creative outlets and you can't stick with the same formula year after year after year because then it gets boring. I mean, you can look at an older, older property, like something like Shakespeare. How many times has Romeo and Juliet been done to fucking death? A shit ton. Or, you know, the the Odyssey. Or even like Moses. Like, how many Moses movies have been done or, you know, biblical movies in the last so many years? At its core, there's something good there as a story that resonates with people that people like and enjoy. But there's also a core to what makes the story good and makes the story unique. Romeo and Juliet, you know, the whole the aspect of two lovers, two opposite halves, can't come together and end up dying by suicide. At its core, there's something that works. Now does every story have to be, you know, the same type of scenario? No, you got to change things to maybe modern viewers or, or modernize it. Like the original Shakespeare play is not going to resonate with modern viewers. So in the same form of comics, at its core, Peter Parker needs to be a nerd. He can't be um Andrew Garfield. Yeah, he can't be Andrew. Yes. He can't be yeah. He can't be he can't be Andrew Garfield. He can't come across as like this angsty cool guy who's cooler than half the people in the fucking movie. Doesn't know no, work for the character. It has to be awkward. He has to be an outcast. he has got to be weird. At its core, that's what makes the character unique. Same thing with Superman. He can't be a broody angsty fucking Batman character. It's weird. It doesn't work. Batman can be angsty. The kid that his parents die in front of him in an alley. That's why there's certain things work at the core. Now to alienate your readers, well, certain people are going to go to the movies. I understand you want to funnel them to your comics, but the people who are going to your movies aren't going to your comic conventions. They're not going to spend $300 of their, their hard earned money on your merchandise. They're not, they're going to watch your movie. They might watch your TV show and they might buy a t-shirt. They're not going to be your, your sustaining uh, audience. There's that, the concept out there that you only need a thousand fans to live, or I think it's a thousand maybe, uh, or it even be a hundred I think it might be a thousand, I'm not sure, but there's a certain number, it's not a lot, where you only need X amount of core fans to be a successful creator because they constantly buy your stuff they're the one who is, is going to your signings, they're the one who is yeah. shelling out a shit ton of their fucking money to sustain your property, so you can't alienate them, they're the ones who are going to keep you going for your entirety, you have to essentially take like, your comics can be your super indie stuff, and then like it can, be so your comics can be your mixtape. That can be like your your passion projects, Your really like gritty stuff that not everyone's going to enjoy. Then your movie can be the light version of that. That can be your your album, the thing that kind of draws in a, a mainstream audience. But throughout, it's a pop the, hit, you know, yeah, you're, it's you're digestible. <clears throat> your single, it's digestible. But from your mixtape to your album to your single, there's still like a, a combining thread that. There's something there that kind of connects them Yeah, sure. at its core. That's what it needs to be. It can't be let's alienate the core people and let's bring in some new people because a lot of new people aren't going to stay around. They just enjoy it because it's a digestible thing. It's a popcorn flick. They enjoy it. They're not going to go that extra step. But you also can't alienate the people who go that extra step because in 10 years when you know you still want money – they're going to be the ones who are still paying you. They're the ones who are going to go to the show not once, twice, three times, maybe even four times. So you have to essentially turn it into a line where there's something at its core that you can string along. So you can't alienate people. I think that's probably if you look at the comic market right now, I think that's Marvel's problem right now is they're trying too hard to maximize on the, the movie audience and alienating the people who are actually going to go and shell out. 100 to 200 dollars a week on their polls. Well,
3: I think I think the thing they need to realize though is like those are two different markets. Like you know, there there are like I think most most or many comic book fans or readers probably go and see these movies, but most people who see these movies are not going to go read comics. And I think like that like they need to realize and think about how to activate both of those communities or engage both of those communities in ways that make sense, right? Because I think even so, though, right? All, I think all of us have made the point during this conversation that these movies are intended as ways to get people to read books. And I think maybe they should give that up. Because I think a certain percentage of people are going to go and seek out comics because they've read the, or they've seen these movies. But the large majority of people are not. And I think they've been around long enough where, like, there are people who are fans of comics or, like, not comics, but superheroes that don't read comics. And there's enough media for you to do that. Now, you could be a fan of just the Marvel movies and be like, yeah, I'm really into superheroes. And, like, yeah, well, there's four superhero movies a year and five TV shows. So, yeah, you could be. And I think maybe we're just, like, seeing superheroes as a medium evolve um, beyond comics, to some degree as well, that like you can like superheroes and not care about comics. I completely
4: agree because it makes me think. Like, think of how many kids that we grew up with who watched the Spider-Man or X-Men series. How many of them are going Both out and buying comics? Almost so it's the same thing with the movies. Yeah, there's exactly. plenty of people who are going to grow up watching these movies and absolutely loving the movies. How many of them are going to go buy a comics? Probably five to ten percent. It's a nice jumping off point. Like we all had our jumping off point at some. At some point with some medium outside of comics that probably brought us in, whether it was a TV show, maybe we saw an ad, whatever. So comics and, quote, superhero genre has been around forever. It needs a connecting point to go, oh, this is interesting. Let me find out more. But I think the comic industry needs to realize they're a niche market. Except you're a niche market. The movies are a jumping off point to bring people into your market. But stop trying to connect the audience. It's the same thing. You have people who are hip-hop heads who are into mixtapes, indie rappers who really fucking like battle rap and certain things, who are like, fuck Kendrick, fuck Drake, fuck whatever. But there are certain kids who are going to go listen to a Drake album, a Kendrick album, who are going to go backwards and go, oh, I want to listen to more lyricism. I want to listen to a different kind of beat, who will work their way back. Same thing with rock. Same thing with any genre. I think the problem is that comics, for whatever reason, is like, oh, well, we have to be the same as the movies. No, you, you've had your medium around forever. There's been Spider-Man shows since like the 60s or 70s. It's not – they didn't change the comics when everyone was like, oh, I love Spider-Man and Friends or, oh, I love the Spider-Man cartoon. They're like, no, the Spider-Man cartoon is a jumping off point for regular people to come look at our shit. I think instead of going backwards and trying to combine the two, accept your medium, accept your medium is niche and the mainstream stuff for mainstream people. And then just keep a a connecting thread. As long as you keep your characters generally around the same and keep inventing new stories around those specific points – I think it'll, it'll be fine. And I think sometimes the hardcore fans need to sometimes take a step back and realize not everything's for them either.
0: So I, th- I think that um, if you look at the films that they've made, a lot of the ones that people have the most complaints about are also the least accurate. And I, I strongly believe that there is a connective element there. So you look at Man of Steel, right? I think Man of Steel is a good movie. And I think that Man of Steel works really, really well if you watch it as the first contact that humans have with an alien and an alien growing up as a human. I think that's brilliant. But most people who care about Superman will argue that it does not work as a Superman movie, and that's the reason why they don't like it, right? And Man of Steel should have done better than it did at the box office. I I firmly believe that, but it didn't. And I think that a large reason why it didn't is because people didn't like the way it portrayed Superman. So in that regard, the accuracy of the character and the portrayal was super important. It was extremely important. Look at Fantastic Four. People who watch the Fantastic Four movie from 2004 or whatever and then go watch the most recent one don't recognize those characters. Uh, um, Johnny Storm is black. That doesn't make sense to them. Uh, The Thing is a monster instead of a lovable guy. That doesn't make sense to them. So it's, it's very much a different take that people couldn't jive with. Whether or not the movie was good... The, the going into it, the word of mouth was so bad because of how much they had altered things that people couldn't get with that. And I think that that, that alienated the people who care about the Fantastic Four, and then the movie was a flop.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like a one to one thing, though. I think those movies are also not very good. I, like, I, you, you like Man of Steel, so that's definitely like a difference of opinion there. But I think like Fantastic Four is like objectively not a good movie.
0: There are you know, people like, who disagree with that.
3: I guess, but not there's many. Very,
4: uh, yeah, I say there's very few people who disagree that Fantastic Four is – like, look at look at movie critics. Like, this is why Rotten Tomatoes is good. I know people think there's a conspiracy theory against fucking DC movies. But Rotten Tomatoes is great because most of those critics don't have comic backgrounds. Most of them saying their thing, well, comics and superheroes really aren't my thing and will give you a semi-objective opinion about it as a movie. And they think it's a shit movie. They think it's an awful movie.
0: Okay, so that that's fair but then you but then again you look at man of steel and it's like well why is this movie bad
2: i i mean i know i know film people that uh have like given lectures in the theater after the movie that that have explained why man of steel is such a bad movie
4: so many like weird plot threads like, 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 things that, that just don't connect Like even you get away from the super me Uh, superman aspect of it just being a bastardization of superman i'm like thinking of man of steel there was just certain cuts of the way that like things happen that plot threads weren't connecting and all of a sudden like like at the end of the movie superman and lois lane are suddenly really cool like this dude went from you went from like hunting him down now all of a sudden like you're in love like where are the connecting threads to this and like where they're like why is uh why is no one it seemed like people were upset about uh, city being destroyed, but think about it like right now uh, city was destroyed on our planet right now Like the entire world will be under chaos because people will be like aliens just came down and destroyed our fucking city Like there was just certain things that they tried to drum up and then play off It was just I don't know. There was just a lot of weird shit I wish I remembered the movie better But I remember complaining about like the cuts the plot threads and why like certain things just weren't connecting and were just weird
1: like Man of Steel as a superman movie like that's another conversation but i think it is a fairly polarizing film but uh i think generally it is a negatively received film I, i think as a movie it isn't very good um i think of a movie like superman returns which was trying too hard to be like the uh donner superman era films and that wasn't very well received and it didn't do super well in the box office and that was trying to play off what the audience was familiar with IP-wise. That's what people had... I mean, it had. It felt like a Superman movie, but still wasn't very good, and it didn't do very well, because I think ultimately quality is the biggest indicator for an audience of whether or not they want to pay money to see a movie, not just once, but more than once, as we're seeing with this Wonder Woman thing right now. Um... I mean the Fantastic Four film just had a lot of bad buzz going in, and that's just what happens. I don't know if you want to consider the Fox ones from fifteen years ago comic book accurate or not, but those movies did really poorly as well. This is people have a perception of a certain IP. And
3: I don't think those movies were not very good either though. Like they were fine, but they didn't they do were, well. like yeah they they it's cuz they they weren't very well received yeah, either though. Yeah. They weren't like critical darlings. They didn't make a ton of money. Like they were fine. They performed fine. Yeah. Like it was like, you know, Spider-Man and X-Men, you know, like those movies came out and like set the world on fire, you know. And
1: that's that's the whole thing is I I think ultimately it comes down to quality. I think that's the biggest indicator for what, whether or not an audience will see a movie.
3: I don't even think it's necessarily just to a movie, too, though, because I think I definitely agree with the point that Sean and Chris are making that I think being true to the character is the most important thing, whether you're true to the lore or not. Right. Is that if you nail the character, that's the most important thing. That's what makes, you know, Superman good or Batman good is that like these are well defined, well explored characters. And I think you could look at something like. um, Oh, God. What was what was that Batman book? That, um, that we had Marco Reed, that was like the first one that explored the idea of like Batman being mentally unstable. Okay. Right. So Arkham Asylum, right. It's like, that was the first time that was ever done, you know, or like Dark Knight Returns was the first time we really saw like the dawn of like grim, dark, gritty Batman. And those things were new interpretations of those characters at that time, but they were done well. So people liked them and then they became popular interpretations of that character because they were done well and well-received. So I think there's definitely something to Phil's point in that it's important to stick to the source material if the source material is good and that's what makes the character work. But I think you can also work outside of it if you do a good job and it resonates with people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think – see, I think though that the the example that you brought up about Batman is an extension of what already was true about the character. That's fair. That's fair. Go ahead, Phil. In a sense, in a sense that, uh, so if you're looking at like the Dark Knight Returns, for example, Batman was already this character that was like, you know, not the darkest character in the world, but he already was dark. He was already like existing on a, on like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, I don't want to use this word realism, but, yeah, like, gothic, that was already his motif. That was already what Batman was. So, to extend that and then do Dark Knight Returns, that makes sense for the character.
1: Not really. Like, I mean, just from a... Hit, like, this is getting off topic, but, I mean, Batman hadn't been really like that in, like, 40 years. He had become a war hero. He'd become a campy 60s iconoclast. And then he became James Bond under Danny O'Neill and and, uh, and uh, Neil Adams. It wasn't really until Dark Knight Returns and Miller came along, and more importantly, Tim Burton that Batman became this gothic avenger that people associate with today. And a big part of that is what I mean. The Tim Burton Batman movie was the biggest movie in 1989, and it had a ma- it was a cultural phenomenon. And that's what the 1978 Superman movie was when a, when Something is genre-defining. It changes the course of an IP forever. Yes. My my point is like the Pete's point is that these things were new and innovative. I, I don't think they were playing to something that was already being done. Same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, the DNA run in two thousand seven, two thousand eight was very different from what the movie provided, and that book is what pretty much launched the movie to begin with. But that movie reestablished everything that we
0: think of as the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah I don't know I, I feel like I feel like the Guardians movie was made more because they wanted to have like you said like a Fantastic Four type family thing going on and expand um, into Marvel Cosmic right rather than it being something that people were clamoring for uh, and people said the same thing about Ant-Man that there wasn't really a market there for an Ant-Man movie and then it came out and was a success uh,
2: but I, I mean, and I, and this could go either way. I, I, re, I really think that my my ongoing theory about the Edgar Wright Ant Man debacle is is that they they uh, Disney and and Marvel panicked at the last second about Guardians and wanted to change up Ant Man because Edgar Wright was going to take it in too far of a weird direction or whatever. And
3: yeah, I think the only reason Ant Man got made was because of Edgar Wright. You know not because there was like a reason for Ant-Man to get made and I think they got so far along in the process they were like alright well let's make the movie
0: so let let me turn this just a little bit because we've talked about the Venom film and we've talked about Silver and Black right now these are two films that are coming out that are not comic book accurate right like they can't be uh, because of the nature of of how they're being made it's just not possible so, Pete, you've been arguing on the side of comic book accuracy not being super important. What do you think about those movies in the context of your current argument?
3: So my issue with those are – I mean part of it is I guess that they will not be comic book accurate. But it's, it's not even that. It's more uh, to speak to the original point that I already agreed with, which is that I, they can't be character accurate either. And that's a bigger problem for me is that, like, Venom and Black Cat specifically are characters that only, like, at least in their original form, in the way that I assume we are going to be introduced to them, uh, are characters that only exist and, and are valuable in the context of Spider-Man stories, in my opinion. So it's, it's not so much that oh, they're not going to be accurate to Venom because they're going to portray Venom as a hero or something. It's like, no, Venom's interesting because he's a foil to Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's not going to be there. And Black Cat is interesting because her and Peter have a fucking, just awesome chemistry together. And they they play off one another really well. Like, other than that, like, she's just like a Catwoman clone, you know? And and, and Venom is just, you know, bizarro Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. So it's like how those things don't work without the anchor character so that's my concern more so than it is that I don't think that they're going to be like accurate to these characters. Themselves. See
0: the problem is that Venom has existed for like 30 20 years 20 or 30 years and for like plus uh,
3: 10 for, or so 15
0: for he hasn't
4: 20. Been... he was a 90s character wasn't he so. yeah
0: so for, for 80s, 80s yeah like what was it like oh, late yeah. 80s I want to say he was in so so 87 yeah, that so yeah, it was
3: during it was during um, McFarland's run on Amazing Spider-Man. So for 20 about 30, 30, twenty-five
0: years, 30 years, Venom has been a character. For oh shit, it has been only, 30 years since nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, Dang, yeah. Only a handful of those years was Venom actually a a Spider-Man foil. Yeah, but
3: that's what he's best known as, and that's what they're going to introduce him as. And even so, like again, if you want to take it from that angle, like. His creation is Spider Man, though, you know. Like, what I was gonna say his it, like he how he's created has to do with Spider Man. His original arcs, his character defining arcs, are all about him being a Spider Man foil or a Spider Man villain or making amends for him being a villain or again or the symbiote moving on from Eddie Brock and connecting to somebody else in Spider Man's life.
4: And his purpose is Spider Man, like the thing that drives him. His entire, like, character motif is Spider-Man. His entire driving force is, I hate Spider-Man. Like, there's not anything also, like also he looks, looks like Spider-Man, like Spider-Man and, and has basically the same, same powers as him. As him. Yeah. And hates him. Like, that's he, all he talks about is the whole we thing. Like, we're mad at you. We hate you. Like, his whole driving force is
3: he has to hate Spider-Man. At least in the beginning.
0: In the beginning, yeah.
3: Yeah, right. And, like, yeah, the characters evolve beyond that. But, like... Has Venom been relevant since he evolved beyond that? Not, except for the um, Flash Thompson Venom series, or its Agent Venom, and that's totally fucking different. They can't make an Agent Venom movie without any context. They could you still know, do that. Like
1: they could do that without context. They,
3: they could, but it would be dumb. Like Even it, would, it still, would be stupid.
2: Flash Thompson is a Spider-Man character.
3: Yes, and like there, there's just so much about it that like it just it, I don't think it works. You know, it's like if you want to do like, a reinterpretation of Venom as a totally different character and keep, oh, it's a dude with a symbiotic alien thing that gives him Spider-Man, like, superpowers, fine, but, like, that is so far removed from what, to the point we made earlier, what the core of the character is, as, like, what is Venom, who, like, what is the elevator pitch for Venom? What are Eddie Brock's and the symbiote's motivations. Like, there's so much around what makes the character that you're taking out when you remove Peter Parker and his relationship to him from the equation.
1: I think that's boxing him into a corner. I think it's boxing Venom into a corner. Like, I think that's, like, as a creator or something, like, that's a super limiting factor. I I don't think any of this matters. We've talked about this before, though. Like, uh, ad nauseum, but... I think this is a film that could be really solid if it has the right people behind it. Tom Hardy is a great actor. Um and I don't know who the director is. Is there a director yet? Not sure that there is. So, I mean, it, it, it really it all depends on execution to me. And it's like, I mean, if if the movie has this buzz that it's a good movie, it'll be a financial success. Uh and if they, I just don't think there's enough
3: there for him as a character. Like, I don't think Venom is interesting enough as a character to be on his
1: own. Um, but maybe they'll do something def- like uh, definitive for the character. You know, I mean, that's just what happens sometimes. Maybe they make. Maybe they have a good idea. Maybe they, you know, can create a definitive version that, you know, ends up being defining for the character. I don't think Venom is a super well-known character to normies anyway. Uh, I think I think he's not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's room to play.
3: I mean, there is. I just like. I think it goes back to the, the argument we were making before, right? Is like what you're talking about is not a Venom movie. What you're talking about is taking elements of the character or the IP of Venom and reimagining them in some new way or recontextualizing. Yeah, but then it. That, that, like, that, that becomes that you want Venom. To do, that's fine. But that
1: becomes
2: Venom then. But why not just make yeah, it but... its own? Why not yeah. make it men
1: off? Like, <laughs> you I mean, know, I mean, make it 19, its own thing. Then. 1977, Superman completely flipped, like, what Superman was. And- but it's still, but, it, like,
4: it, it's still. You know, f- there was still its base core. Like, he still, like, yeah. came, he flew in from another planet and was raised by the Kents. Like, yeah,
3: this but, is, but like, the whole values, values, values were different. Were different yeah but again, like you're you're I think like it, it ignores that at one point that I made, which is that like venom is a character who was created as a foil for another character. Superman was created to be a character. It's like I'm not interested in the joker outside of the context of Batman.
4: It doesn't make sense for Joker to be outside of the context for Batman. It's like it's like if you're going to take the Batman story and start him off, you have to kill his parents. You have to create the foil as in the Joker. You have to create these certain elements that make it work. Superman, even though it changed some elements and even like the Batman movie changed some elements, there's still those core things that could push the character forward. Venom's whole core and character motivation is Spider-Man. Like his whole entire being is based off of another character. He's literally a symbiote created off of another character it's like taking his clone and but the clone not being from peter parker
3: yeah i have i have way more faith that they could do that with a character like black cat like i think that you could actually do that if you want to black cat has a identity that isn't uh tied up with spider-man she's just interesting because she has a relationship with spider-man but like there's so much to her beyond that in terms of like you could tell the story of how she became a thief or whatever but it's like even just the thing of just like where does the symbiote come from why does it imitate Spider-Man's powers you know like all that stuff is just like it doesn't make sense and you can make up reasons why it makes sense but like why why fucking bother like I don't think there's enough it's so clear to me that the only reason they're making a Venom movie is because Venom is a name that they believe has cachet
1: sure but I mean all this, all this, really boils down to is not my plank, which is the classic no, it, complaint. It, 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 of yeah, I, I don't think so because you're saying, oh well, because you take this away, he's not my Venom. Uh, no, it's he's not Venom.
4: But yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not Venom. Like I said, you take away Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed, that's not Venom.
1: Isn't that man? Venom is a no, Superman. I'm, no,
4: I'm using an example, or even like Superman. If you just take Superman and leave him on Krypton, it's no longer Superman. It's just Kal-El. There are certain elements that make a character. If Peter doesn't get bitten by a radioactive spider, he's not Spider-Man. If Venom doesn't come from a symbiote, from Spider-Man, it's not Venom. It's not Eddie Brock. It loses the character motivations because even Eddie Brock himself, his character motivations were... Peter Parker. I hate Peter Parker. That's why him and the symbiote came together is because they had a mutual hate of who? Spider-Man and Peter Parker. There's like, you need those elements. Like Black Cat, like Pete said, she can work on her own. She's just a little less interesting in certain aspects, but I'm sure that you could know, play off of it, maybe make defining things for her by giving her own movie. Right now, she's less interesting without Spider-Man because they have a really cool dynamic. And like, like nobody's like, really, really tried to explore her beyond that too much, you know, like... She could have her defining moment. She could have her, her Superman movie like, oh, shit, we're going to – this Black Cat movie, we're going to follow through with this in the her story now. But Venom, Venom's not Venom without these elements.
1: General audiences get more mad about a misrepresentation of a popular character like a Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man. Most people don't know who Venom is. I think it's a misnomer to compare – these incredibly iconic characters in pop culture, with a fringe character like Venom, I think general audiences don't give a shit about the things that were established but about we're Venom not, thirty years ago. We're
3: not talking ago. about it is popularity, though. It's not the popularity; it's like the, how the character right. like, what on. is the character about. You, you
1: interrupted my entire thought. <laughs> Sorry. What I'm saying is because all this stuff is stuff from thirty years ago that aren't even pertinent anymore, really, because Venom has been change i mean he's he's had different hosts which are granted different spider-man characters the thing is venom doesn't have this hard stoic background that these very popular ip characters have that leave a lot of room to play with and because of that if you do something creative and interesting general audiences will be receptive and that's why there's plenty of room to establish a good movie
0: so this the the conversation at its core is about whether or not the accuracy of the character is in any way related to the success of the film and whether or not people like Pete and Chris who care about the accuracy of the character matter in the grand conversation that we're having about money and and these films being a success. And I think Phil's point is that even if the character is not accurately represented it doesn't matter because general audiences don't know that and they make up the bulk of the people who will see the movie so that that point is well taken now what i want yeah, to establish I what i want to establish before we do wrap up this conversation is this question we know venom is coming out we we know that it's most likely not going to be accurate to the character in the what, what I think is fair to argue are the core ways that that character um, was conceptualized, at least in the beginning, right? I think we can all agree with that. So the question is, because they're going to change it drastically, and, it will, and it, the movie will not include Spider-Man, do you guys think that it will flop based on those elements, regardless of the quality of the movie? Absolutely.
3: It's going to be Fantastic Four all over again. So I I I. Those are two separate questions. No, I don't think it's regardless of the quality of the movie. But I think because Venom is such a thin character, I don't think the movie will be quality. Also, I don't have any confidence in Sony in making superhero movies. They haven't made a good one since Spider Man Two.
2: I think it'll be I think it'll be Catwoman and Elektra. Yep. Just thin, nearly parody versions of the character. Venom in name
3: only.
0: Well, I I want to clarify something because. Uh, I I I totally disagree that there's not enough there with Venom to make a good Venom movie. I think, I and I I disagree on Electro as well. I think you could make a fantastic Electro movie I'm if not, you gave uh, it, uh, it.
2: Hang on, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not saying that you couldn't make one.
0: Yeah, I'm, it just what was, it wasn't made.
4: Yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm comparing yeah. Yeah. I think he was saying it'll be on that level right. of quality. Yeah, I, I don't think Pete's saying that there's not enough for Venom either. He I did. Think I would. No, no. He's saying there's not enough there without Spider-Man, which yes. is my point. I think there's there's plenty for both of these characters: Black Cat, Sable, Electra, Venom. All these characters, but there's certain elements that make them full. And I think Pete's point is: Venom would be great, but you need Spider-Man. Without Spider-Man, it's not full. So even special-
2: even if it's even if it's just to start, you yeah. you have to root it from that.
3: Like, I honestly think if they wanted to do a, like, Spider-Man Homecoming sequel is a movie with Venom and Venom's the villain and they fight and then the Venom movie is Maximum Carnage, that would be great. That could It'd be cool awesome. And then yeah. that's how they get over their beef. Venom becomes an antihero and Venom has his own series of movies. Fine. Totally fine. But I, again, like, I think the that core, like, origin of the character is relevant because even a lot of his post- That storyline life is defined by that stuff.
0: Okay, and now I want to give the last word on this subject to Marco. Marco, what is the last word?
1: All right, Marco. All the eyes of the world turn upon you. The last word, Venom Farts. Thwip. Oh, boy. (laughs) What a goddamn jabroni. (laughs) (laughs)
0: all right that's gonna do it for that topic guys um wait
4: speaking of i heard jabroni what's going on with the the beef you guys got going with uh the the long box oh those
1: fucking jabronis all right
0: let me tell you let me put one
1: thing they're not on our level That's it. There's not. There's no. There's no promo to cut because there's no. There's
0: there's no there there. Promos have been cut on both sides. Uh, the Long Box is a great podcast. I really enjoy what they do over there. Those are those boys are, are, are talented. Uh, but you know they they barked up the wrong tree. Quite frankly, uh, they're outnumbered. They're outgunned. Uh, and, <laughs> and I outclassed, frankly. You know, we're, we're, we're going <laughs> to, uh, we're going to, we're going to have a big injustice session at some point in justice the, the new game. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that I could probably just deal with both of them myself. Um, I don't really know that there's, there's heat there. Uh, and, but, uh, <laughs> but Sean's gonna first, Sean's gonna send his lackeys to do it for him. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I'll be the final boss as it were. Uh, so, but no, they're like the they're, world's
3: shittiest wrestling stable where Sean's the only guy that can actually fucking fight and we're all just like <laughs> <laughs> his terrible managers. <laughs> we carry the belts around.
0: Phil, like, Phil has like, chops. Hey, we are like the, tied. We haven't set yeah, the score. Tied. We're tied. If the we Power a... Rangers
2: were actually able to fight Rita and Lord Zed, but... Lord Zen Rita actually only send you know, Goldar and their shitty monsters to get beat by the Power Rangers
1: every week? So, <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I think of the Lombax, box, they just seem like a couple
0: putties. Oh! <laughs> Alright, <laughs> Phil. Uh, so... <laughs>
3: Damn, Chris, it's been like five episodes since we had beef. You just open that whole shit back up.
0: Here we go. Uh, I just want to say... That I love Matt and Tyler, and uh, I look forward to the next episode of The Long Box, where I'm sure you guys will have many things to say about what was just said, if you get through this long episode, which we are about to wrap up. Uh, So, all the ways you can find us, we said it, but I'll say it again because you probably forgot by now. Uh, We are on iTunes, definitely leave a rating based on what you think of this episode. Uh, Let us know your thoughts, we appreciate and value your feedback. Uh, so you can write to us there. Again, we are at the Comics Pals everywhere social media is sold. Uh, so you can check us out on there. We've, we've got posts all the time. We've got all different kinds of content on there that is exclusive to social media. So check that stuff out. Uh, SoundCloud, again, and all other podcast hosting platforms. YouTube, where you can also check out all of the interviews that we have posted so far from Wizard World Philadelphia and all of the ones that are yet to come. You can check that stuff out we definitely want to get your feedback on our interviews so that we can know what you guys want to see in the future from our coverage of conventions uh, and then of course if you are watching this video on youtube you can like the video you can leave a comment you can subscribe to our channel which we greatly appreciate it and definitely do share it with your friends uh, please do all of those things and write to us at the comics at gmail.com uh, so, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, I want to give you another opportunity to plug yourself uh, and your book, The Six Swords. So why don't you go ahead and do that?
4: Uh, go to The Six Swords Facebook. Go uh, send us a message. Get a comic. Um, Twitter, a.k.a. The Kid Marvel. Um, Facebook uh, page, Chris Massari. Go buy The Six Swords. It's fucking awesome. If not, you're a fucking jabronian. and fuck you.
1: You heard it there here first, go. Chris is saying if you don't buy it, you're a lawn boxer. Oh, oh shit.
3: That <laughs> fucked
1: up. Oh, man. <laughs>
3: I, I do not endorse these
1: messages.
3: <laughs> man, Tyler, are my friends.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pete, hit it.
3: All right, so uh, thank you guys again for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you guys want to check out some more content from me, you can go check out our sister show, The Video Game Pals with me and Sean, where I am the host and we talk about video games. That posts tomorrow on whatever platform you're on. Uh, If you guys want to check out more from just me, you can go check out my writing over at cbr.com. Haven't done anything new in a bit, so I've still just plugged in those same two Wonder Woman pieces I've been doing the last two weeks. So if you haven't checked those out, please go do that. Help me pay the rent. Give them a click. Give them a read. Uh, Let me know what you think on social media at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. You can come talk to me about why the Venom movie is going to be trash, and we can gang up on Phil.
1: You can try.
2: (laughs) Um, I wanted to take a second to announce and, uh, congratulate, uh, friend of the show, Letty Wilson. Uh, you might know Letty from her work on our, uh, on our logo and a million other things. Uh, Letty is amazing. She, uh, is a featured artist in the upcoming, uh, Secret Loves of Geeks, uh, an anthology, uh, an anthology series, uh, that's uh being put out by Dark Horse uh next year.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Um
2: yeah, I'm super pumped for Letty. I know she uh she's very, very excited and she's very, very talented and very, very much uh deserves all the praise she's gonna get for this. She deserves to be up uh in in all up in this book with names like uh Becky Cloonan, uh Gerard Way, uh Cistel Castellucci. Um, wow! Yeah, this is gonna be huge, and holy it's gonna shit, be huge Go ready her.
1: We yeah. knew her yeah. when. We knew her when. So we know uh,
0: She made our fucking logo, boys.
1: She made my face look Hawaii as fuck.
2: <laughs> it's the most Hawaii-looking boy I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, oh what? <laughs> other,
1: other than Kill so white. Uh,
2: Other than that, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto @totointo. That's T O T O I N T O W. Uh,
1: Phil. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you're in the Philadelphia area, come down to the 69th Street Theater where I'll be uh, broadcasting Electra this Friday, uh, Catwoman on Saturday and Ghostwriter on Sunday in the matinee show. So come by and check those out. And then of course, you can always find me on Twitter at the real Donald Trump and on Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. Marco.
5: I'd like to plug uh, I'd like to plug Phil's quality theater. Uh, he'll be coming out. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Instagram at Woe is Marco and on Twitter at Woe is Marco where I don't
0: do much. Isn't there an underscore <laughs> somewhere in there?
5: Oh, there's an underscore in the on the Twitter at the end. Woe is Marco underscore.
0: There you go. And I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter where you can prompt me to post by saying things that might get on my nerves. Uh, but even that won't or... work. Attack
3: <laughs> specifically attack Jean Grey, wrestling, and America. America. I, I couldn't think why, of a third why thing. Why America?
0: <laughs> oh, what Sean? Uh, you're not a patriot. No. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. We're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys.
1: Bye. Hey, that's my birthday.